Good afternoon and welcome. Welcome to another edition of Atlas Live. Um, <clears throat> we are pleased that you can join us. Allow us to make a quick adjustment to the camera. <clears throat> uh, as the world knows, as you probably know, it's probably why you're here, Queen Elizabeth II passed away. And whether or not she passed away when they, shed, they uh, said she did, or she passed away any number of years ago, that's up to you to decide. We're not here to discuss any sorts of details related to her reign, her monarchy, her family, uh, scandals, um, conspiracies, because you can go elsewhere for that. What we are going to do is share with you what you possibly cannot receive elsewhere. We cannot say that for sure. There are many, many servants of the light. There's many messengers, many bodhisattvas working for humanity right now as we speak, incarnated and So we cannot say for sure that we are the only ones who can share with you the following. However, we have yet to see anyone else amongst all the uh, base sentimentality on one side and proper British politeness and all-out anger and vitriol on the other side. <clears throat> there seems to be no middle ground between the two and that's indicative of the times that we are in we are in the kala yuga the iron age of this humanity and the black lodge rules and as you know the black lodge's modus operandi is divide and conquer and it seems that the passing of elizabeth ii is just another opportunity for so-called truthers and the so-called sheeple, the unawakened masses, the sleeping masses, and the, quite frankly, sleeping spiritual people who have nothing better to do than to completely give themselves to attachment and identification on one hand to their uh, traditions and their externalized proxies for <clears throat> themselves, And on the other side, these so-called spiritual and truthers and seeking the light and seeking the truth and everything else, completely and totally subjugating themselves to fear and anger and frustration and envy and all the other complex dark emotions that you've seen expressing themselves over the last 
24, 48 hours, whatever, however long it's been, 36 hours. Someone sent us a rather interesting video. We can't share it with you, of course, because of we, you know, we we always get burned by YouTube if we try to show you a YouTube video during our live stream because of copyright and 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 so you know, remember uh, when we were doing the Lord of the Rings uh, live stream a while back, we were we were taken down while we were live. We were taken down, and that was. Uh, Sort of catastrophic it was just trying to navigate that and get the live stream back online was just a so we can't show you the video but you may have already seen it it's about 14 minutes if we recall it's jordan peterson speaking in the uk on the eve of or the eve following uh elizabeth's death or at least the announcement of elizabeth's death and he of course was cognizant of the audience to whom he was speaking in the nation in which he was speaking <clears throat> the fact that he is a, Can a canadian part of the so-called commonwealth of nations which is a um a sort of polite euphemism for uh former colonies of the british empire this is what the Commonwealth of Nations, <clears throat> uh, th that's the proxy for what the Commonwealth of Nations uh, is. It really has no teeth. It really has no uh, profound economic, very, very, very loose cultural, but of course, historical ties. And so because of tradition, because of attachment, because of identification, well, we have to hold on to that and hold on to that, our identity as part of the commonwealth. <clears throat> but Jordan Peterson said something very interesting. And he said it in a very positive way. He expressed how well, he, got, he went into sort of a long story about when he met Donald Trump and how he finds it fascinating as a Canadian that in the United States, the celebrity of the president far exceeds that of just about any other nation in the world. But then the fact that they elected a celebrity, Donald Trump was already a celebrity when they elected him. But then there's this also, he said, a strange phenomenon in the United States where the wife of the president, the so-called first lady, automatically gets elevated to a position of authority because she's married to the man who's elected president. And <clears throat> he expressed how that's a completely foreign concept here in Canada and how uh, Canadians know next to nothing about Trudeau's wife. Sophie, I believe it's Sophie, and how this is, you know, rather odd, but, and how he feels as a psychologist and as a Jungian uh, psychologist at that, so, you know, very well into the archetypes, he sees that in the United States as a sort of uh, psychological or subconscious need being met there. 
the, the idea that a president and then his wife, sort of the president becomes coronated king. And then his wife sort of automatically, by, <clears throat> by virtue of being married to him, gets elevated to the status of queen, essentially. Just as in monarchies, to one degree or another. Whoever is the spouse of the ruler sort of gets to rule by proxy, if you will. Long-standing traditions of monarchies. And he got into sort of some technical political, uh, you know, jargon about multiple different levels and, uh, you know, the, the judicial level, the parliamentary level, the provincial level, the, and so on and so forth. And how he was saying how in the United Kingdom, they have four levels because, of course, they have the, the monarchy on top of the fact that they have the, the ministerial level. The, so the prime minister level, the judicial level, and the, uh, the provincial level, like, um, if that's what it is in the UK as well. So they have four levels. And <clears throat> he was expressing how the majesty of the monarchy and that separation, so that sort of figurehead role, how important that was psychologically for people to have that in their lives and how it was a, uh, uh, he, he goes on and on and on about why that's important, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, he gets a big rousing ovation from the audience that he gives this little uh, conciliatory and uh, ego-stroking speech to. And it's just incredible how this individual can be so hypnotized and mesmerized by his own ego mind. And rest assured, if you've ever heard Jordan Peterson speak or field questions or watch any of his lectures or anything like that, you know that he has a mind that is uh, raging. And it is, he was a Harvard University professor and of course a Jungian psychologist. And he studies, he's all the literature, he's up on all the latest politics and, you know, geopolitical situations. And he is just, from an intellectual point of view, he is a giant. And it's no wonder why the left fear him and loathe him as they do because he has forget about mental gymnastics jordan peterson doesn't perform mental gymnastics as much as he is a proper master swordsman of intellect and rhetoric in a in a debate situation or in any sort of thing you can you can observe a uh an intellect which comes around perhaps you know once every hundred years maybe once every 50 but he's also very emotional he is doing what he came here to do believe it or not because what we're about to say is going to sound like we are putting him down or we're going to call him ignorant or you know, we're going to say that what he said was wrong or what he said, that his suggestion 
that the monarchy is uh, important psychologically for people, that it that it serves a, a purpose for the psyche. Well, he's not wrong. From our perspective, from the perspective of those who seek, truly seek the answers, the truth, the light, who seek themselves, we hear something like that and we intuitively and almost spiritually reflexively if there is such a thing of course there isn't such a thing what we are experiencing is not an instinctive primal reaction it's not an ego reaction it is the the sense the feeling the experience that the notion of that ascribed to ourselves is an insult to God. It's an insult to our higher self. And our higher self is incapable of insult. So what do we mean by that? The notion of an externalized proxy for our innermost being is an anathema to our being. It is the definition of what an infidel is in Islam. That which opposes the will of God. It is, from our point of view, an open and public expression of the motto and mandate of the Black Lodge. To rule, to rule us in the stead of our innermost being. <clears throat> the fact of the matter, though, the fact of the matter is that even as we can feel that deep intuitive knowing. And remember, this is not an ego reaction. What you are seeing on the internet is an ego reaction. Now, many of those people may be feeling an intuitive knowing deep down that, that the monarchy is an anathema to, to spirituality, to the being, to freedom, to free will, and they feel that intuitively, but that intuitive feeling gets hijacked by the ego. And the ego says, yeah, no one rules me. No one's going to tell me what to do. Those, those lizard, lizard people and those these people and those people and ancient people. And you know, you know all the accusations. You know all the stories. You know all the conspiracies. You don't have to come to us for the details. You also know all the positive things, all the sentimentality, all the tradition, all the attachments, you know all of that. We don't need to go through all of that either. But, but this video by Jordan Peterson, 
this is very revealing. And it's revealing on multiple different levels. Why is it that people are willing to follow an externalized, an external ruler? And is Jordan Peterson correct that in the absence of the inner presence of the inner ruler, can, can someone actually exist like that? Can someone realistically exist without some sense of that as, as th that archetype? And Jordan Peterson suggests that they can't really, or they will always seek out something to fill that void in their life, in their psychology. What Jordan Peterson doesn't at least publicly say at that particular moment to that particular crowd in that particular place in that particular country at this particular time of national mourning <clears throat> is that that uh, imperial presence is required for a healthy psychology, for a, a wholeness, a completeness to exist in a human being. And the reason why is obvious. Because without it, we are zombies. We are zombies waddling around pursuing base primal animal instinct. And what we think is free will is really the will of our egos who are playing that game of king of the hill inside of us. And that's why you see so many people who embrace uh, atheism, who have and, and, and embrace communism, communist atheism, or on the right-hand side, extreme libertarianism. Now, many people on the right with the extreme libertarianism, a lot of them are very religious. So they have God and they have Jesus to be their guide. So they have a proxy. They have an externalized God and, and an externalized personality. Uh, uh, you know, the king of kings. They have the king of kings to rule them. And that's why they're so comfortable with the libertarian notion and that, that there, there needs not, not be a, some kind of top-down hierarchical, hierarchical structure to, uh, to organize society because they are very comfortable with the, uh, the notion that, no, no, Jesus is my savior and uh, to hell with everybody else. So I've got my guns, I've got my bunker, I've got my 20,000 cans of Campbell's soup, I've got my Bible, right? And I got my five kids and my wife and my pickup truck. Now, that's, of course, tongue-in-cheek and, uh, and um, uh, painting everybody with the same crude brush, but you get the idea. Likewise, on the atheist-communist side, they're like, no, 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 we just need social justice. 
and all dominance hierarchies are evil and they have to be torn down and all traditions and the patriarchy and all that stuff. You know all that as well. You don't have to come here to hear that. You can hear that from Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson railing against that. Because clearly, Jordan Peterson is a big fan of uh, the Piscean traditions and the Piscean structures. He is very attached to them. He sees the value of them, but that's fine. He's Piscean in that sense, and he sees the value. And, he, and of course, he walks softly but carries a big trident. That's Neptune, who serves Jupiter, Jupiter Zeus. That's the Neptune is essentially the Christ, Jupiter, Zeus. As, uh, Neptune is Thor. We mentioned this before. Neptune is to Jupiter, Zeus, what Thor is to Odin. And that's the Christ. The Christ is the one that incarnates in the world to do the will of God, to do Odin's will. Odin's son. And he's the son, the son of God. Thor is. And, and Neptune is... Not the son of Jupiter, but it's the same thing applies. He's Jupiter's right-hand man. He's Jupiter's enforcer. And just like Thor has Mjolnir, the hammer, um, Neptune has his trident. It's the same symbol. It's the same. Uh, uh, the hammer has two sides. And one handle and two sides. But the two sides, you need both both sides of the hammer to make a hammer. So... And it's the same with the trident. So you have the three-pronged trident. So it's the three, it's the trinity, and it's the uh, the uh, masculine-feminine, union of masculine-feminine, and that's the sun. So the, the, the divine androgen, that which is born of the union between masculine and feminine. And that's the hammer of the gods. The severity and mercy of the trident and of Thor's hammer. <clears throat> so, we need to be ruled. We yearn to be ruled. We long to be ruled. It is a fundamental tenet of human psychology. And the reason it is so is uh, is this. This is the third arcanum, the empress uh, in the tarot. Now, in addition to the empress, we have the emperor. And of course... Uh, as these relate to the 22 Hebrew letters and Kabbalah, we're not going to go into it in, in great detail because that's not the point of this particular talk. Besides, we could not do this topic justice. The symbols are ancient, they're specific, they mean exacting things, and if you are interested, you can by all means uh, watch and or, or sorry, read and or listen to uh, the lecture on your own time. <clears throat> Esoterically, this is our innermost Divine Mother, or the Holy Spirit. And the reason why it's broken out into 
uh, two into the Empress and the Emperor because it separates into male and female, the Holy Spirit. But it's essentially our Divine Mother. And again, we won't get into all the details because we will spend three hours just on this one card. Um, but this is a fundamental aspect of our metaphysical nature. Our Divine Mother is our... Uh, this is actually the Divine Mother. This is not even our Divine Mother. This is the Divine Mother. So the Divine Feminine Force which then descends into us as a seed, as a spark, which is our innermost being. And our innermost being has an individual Divine Mother, an individuated essence or spark of the Divine Mother. But that is our... Uh, but this is from a cosmic, metaphysical point of view... <clears throat> the will of God descends from on high into and through us through our individuated essence, our monad. And it is our monad, our true self, who is uh, essentially our individual emperor. who we owe our devotion to and loyalty to. And to know His will at all times. Because His will is really our will, our true self's will. We are a servant of the court. If Thor and Neptune serve Odin, we are the trident in their hands. We are the we are Mjolnir. We are the hammer in Thor's hands. It's not exactly like that, but our uh, article on uh, to herd or not to herd uh, explains how. We serve our inner master, our inner emperor. That's our purpose. And if we fail in that purpose, we renege on that purpose, or we forget that purpose, or we deny that purpose, we ignore the will of our inner emperor, we betray our king, our ruler. And it is a betrayal. And but betrayal doesn't come without a price. And it also doesn't happen by accident. No one wakes up in the morning 
and decides, today I'm going to betray my emperor. A process takes place, a process of corruption, a process of temptation, or a process of gaining leverage over an individual. That individual finds themselves embroiled in some kind of a scandal, and then forces who wish to manipulate that individual threaten to expose the scandal or what have you. This is very common in international espionage today. The KGB and Putin, for that matter, are masters of it. But the only reason why they're masters of it is because there is a universal psychological precedent for that type of coercion and that type of manipulation. And it happens in each and every one of us. And all you have to do is observe yourself. Do you have bad habits? Do you have foibles, faults, defects, and vices? Do you observe how you are coerced and manipulated into doing wrong action and to doing things that harm yourself and others? Or uh, that, that shirks your responsibilities? or betrays your duties to your own Divine Mother and innermost being, or your duties to others, service to others. You're being ruled. And these elements of our psychology, they're archetypal. We all have seen Lord of the Rings. We've talked about it endless times. And we've seen the two towers. And we know that... We know that uh, the character of Grima, Wormtongue, who betray, betrays... Uh, uh, King Theoden of Rohan. Grima Wormtongue is supposed to be in the service of King Theoden of Rohan. And he is corrupted by Saruman. And through Grima Wormtongue, Saruman is able to hypnotize and possess King Theoden. And it's not until Gandalf comes and Gandalf has to, has to do his magic to liberate the king from Saruman's stranglehold and the, the whispers and words of Grima Wormtongue. You could not have named, you could not, you could not name an evil, slimy, snake-like character better in a fantasy world, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I mean, talk about talk about mythical archetypes and 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 mythological archetypes, and the way he was played by I can't remember the actor's name, but but it was a it was all around. It was a very excellent demonstration of how our inner adversary takes hold and hypnotizes and possesses us. and uses our very 
consciousness, our very intuition against us by glazing over our eyes, by taking our intuition and wrapping around it a whole new narrative. And we run with the narrative. We listen to the voices being whispered in our ear. And they're so subtle and they're so clever that it's easy, it's easy to mistake them for the voice of our true self, the voice of our king. And the reason why that particular scene in the two towers is so important is because Theoden is still ruling. But he's a puppet. Nothing more. He's possessed. And Saruman, the so-called white, well, he has that rank, he has that level, but he's been turned to black by Sauron. So he's still, out of honor and respect, he holds the title, Saruman the White, the White Wizard. But his point of fact, Gandalf takes his place as the white wizard of Middle-earth because Saruman's corrupted. He's now, he's now a dark wizard. He's a black magician. He's, in the, he's, in the, uh, he's deep in the council of the enemy, as Gandalf puts it. And so the entire episode of Gandalf going into Moria and fighting the Balrog and having to die in return and be transformed from Gandalf the Grey to Gandalf the White in order to free Theoden from Saruman's hold and, of course, unfold the rest of the story. We should not be so judgmental. We can learn from Jordan Peterson's tact, his awareness of where he was, who he was speaking to, in what country he was in, in the moment. He could not, he, he did not prepare for that. He could not have prepared for that. He may have learned about the Queen's death a few hours before he was on stage. So he had, he has, something is guiding him, even in all of his intellectualism. And it is hard to argue how he has been guiding and preparing this humanity for what's coming. He was not named Jordan by accident. He was not named Jordan by accident. And he's obsessed with the Bible and extracting practical, usable, meaningful advice for individuals who are lost and without a rudder 
and without a father in many cases entire generations being raised by single mothers or or same-sex couples and not having a strong masculine force of guidance in their lives jordan peterson is a proxy a surrogate father to literally millions and millions of fatherless youth and fatherless individuals or individuals who grew up in modern pediatrics and modern child psychology which is a travesty of justice and a travesty of human psychology and human development literally countless millions have never been told make your bed if nothing else make your bed show some responsibility take some responsibility take action do something do anything make your bed it's so simple it's such a commonsensical simple thing to do how can you expect to accomplish anything out there in the world if you can't even make your bed Now, Jordan is saying that literally because so many millions are at that level. That's what they need to hear and that's what they need to do, literally. But of course, by no means does he only mean that literally. There's layers and layers and layers and there's levels and levels and levels. And Jordan is here to teach a certain level to people at a certain level. You might say he is dipping, he is immersing them, he is dipping them into the baptismal waters in preparation for the coming of the true teachings. He's preparing them to receive higher teachings, deeper teachings. But they're not ready for those teachings yet. They don't even know how to make their bed. They don't even make their bed. Someone who doesn't make their bed cannot comprehend and process that making your bed is an allegory. It's a symbol. And that every time you make your bed in the morning, you are participating in a metaphysical, esoteric, spiritual rite, a ritual of self-organization. That is a term which was born from our Peapod Life indoor ecosystems and our ecosystem guru, Wolfgang Amelung, who talks about the the self-organizing genius of a high-order rainforest ecosystem and its ability to generate a space of love because it has an infinite self-organizing capacity. It's mechanical nature. 
And we often rail against mechanical nature, primal instinct, this and that, survival, blah, blah, blah. Just, you know, how we have to break free of that. We have to break free of that. Ah, but high order rainforest ecosystems represent a intelligentsia of infinite complexity that no mechanical system could actually make happen. It's impossible. All the individual organisms are, are, are doing their thing, but they are in this field, a field of self organizing principality and we use that word specifically a principality is another word for a nation it's another word for a state how do all the molecules know how to organize and structure themselves into a crystalline structure when the temperature goes down is it just a purely mechanical process or are they being governed by the principality of the state and the transfer from one state to another? That word state is important. And the fact that we use it as we self-organize our societies has meaning and purpose because language is power. Language is magic. Language is not accidental. and even though there are many, many euphemisms which have questionable uh, merit, those principal terms that we use and their congruencies across seemingly vastly different subject areas, and yet they're connected in such intimate ways that we see the genius of the ancients who made those connections, who, who, who recognized that the state of matter and the state of human beings are congruent. They are ruled by a principality. That principality is multiple in nature. It's not an I. The Christ is not an I. The Logos is not an I. But because of this, the fact that our true nature is not to be individual, to be an individuated essence of a principality, a perfect multiple unity, and why living in an ecosystem and living in, living in that space of love on the level of the physical organism, and not only that, but the vital body and the emotional and mental body in, that, in the electromagnetic field and the principality of the space of love, we are elevated to that level, to that intelligentsia of infinite complexity, but collective harmony and symbiosis. What rules the ecosystem is perfect loving balance. It's the Tao. But the Tao is not mechanical. Love is not mechanical. 
It is just expressing itself in that way, at that level, but it is every bit as altruistic and conscious just at that level. That's just at the level required for those organisms and for that principality, for that state to achieve its highest expression given its present incarnation. All of the monads. But there's a state. It's a principality. And where there is a principality, there must be a ruler. If it is true for equal, and that ruler, you can't see that you can't see them. But they're there. You call her Divine Mother Nature. That's the Divine Mother. The ray of Akitanak, the ray of creation, descended. That is into the ninth sphere. That is. Uh, The hermit, the Christ that descends down the tree of life through all the sephira to the foundation. And you see up above, up, 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 oh, sorry. <laughs> I don't even have him on screen. There he is. There he is. Okay, so you see above him is the sun and the uh, three prongs shining down. And then at his feet is uh, the moon. Because the hermit walks on the moon of mechanical nature. But the hermit comes from the sun and his intelligentsia is received from the sun. And you see he's got his, uh, his, 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 his candle, his uh, lamp, his oil lamp. And he, of course, he has his staff, which is the spinal column. We must be forgiving, and we must be understanding and compassionate for those who do not know anything about what we're talking about here. You might not know anything about what we're talking about here, experientially. But the soul the monad to has a the emperor has a ruler a principality the state and our monad longs to achieve that level to be raised to its highest expression. The principality is the magician. That's Aleph on the he in the Hebrew alphabet. That's the Alpha. And it's the Omega. You see that little symbol here? The circle with the dot in it? We have the cubic stone. We have there's there's so many symbols on here. This is a excellent course, by the way, to take your time and go through carefully. He holds a lingam yani in his hand. 
the Trinity, the sword, the the vessel, the vase. Uh, the birds have specific meanings. I I don't remember exact precisely what the, the the birds are. I'm assuming one of them is I can't remember if it's a crow or if it's a dove or what it what it is. It's it's, it's worthwhile going through and and uh, um, going through this course card by card. The emperor doesn't rule. But the magician doesn't rule either. What's going on? If the emperor is longing for a higher state, a higher principality, and the magician is a magician, he's not an emperor, he's not a ruler, he's not a king. We vessels, we mortal vessels, we long to be ruled. So no one's no one's ruling us. Or are they? There is a reason, among other things, that Um, we are called Atlas. And traditionally, Atlas upholds the pillars of Hercules, the pillars of heaven and earth. And here we're going to switch to another Tolkien-inspired background. And the reason why we're using these Tolkien-inspired backgrounds is because in that world, Tolkien brought to life the dynamic between the magician and the king. How many kings and leaders does Gandalf advise or does Gandalf protect or save or sacrifice himself to save because um, Aragorn is the rightful king of Gondor and the fellowship needs to get to Rivendell the rightful heir to the throne of Gondor and to, to, to Middle-earth must make it to Rivendell, as does the ring, as does the ring-bearer. And Gandalf makes the ultimate sacrifice, facing off against a demon of hell that you will be hard-pressed to find a more a more dramatic, uh, epic visualization of what it is to battle and to face your fear. And to leap 
into the fray. Down the chasm into hell itself. Because that's where you fight the demon. On its turf, on its ground. From the lowest dungeons to the from the highest to the highest peaks of the lowest dungeons, Gandalf fights the Balrog. This is the magician who does this. These are the wizards of Tolkien's universe. There's five of them. The pentagram, the tetragrammaton. But there's only one white magician, or there should, there's supposed to be only one, until Saruman becomes corrupted and Gandalf takes his place as the advisor, as the protector, as the guide. <clears throat> if you have ever seen the movie Elizabeth with Kate Blanchett, it was Kate Blanchett's breakout role. And it was also Jeffrey Rush, Jeffrey Rush's breakout role. Jeffrey Rush plays Walsingham, who becomes, who is a ruthless, ruthless uh, uh, what's the word? Operative. He's, a, he's an intelligence operative. In the Jacobean age, and Jeffrey Rush plays him with such sinister control, such deep, deep malice and deep, deep conniving, but with a fierce loyalty to his queen. He's an evil guy. He buggers little boys and then he slits his throat. He is not a nice guy by any stretch of the imagination. But in the film, it, but in the film at least, he is he is that Neptune's trident. He is Thor's hammer, but he is more like a a poison dagger. We apologize for the phone ringing in the background. We can't, we can't not have that phone ring. <laughs> um, we should have closed the door. Anyway, the uh, there's that amazing scene at the end of the movie, where because of course the whole movie um, uh, turns around the splitting of the Catholic Church between Catholic and Protestant, which Elizabeth's father, uh, Henry VIII. Um, did and the entire country is in turmoil is on the on borderline civil war and everybody's jockeying for the throne because they think Elizabeth is weak because she has no husband and she does she has not produced an heir and without an heir to the throne without without some protection to her line to the throne everybody is gunning for her and she's just a young girl 
She's just, she's, she ascends to the throne at whatever, 16 or 18 or however old she was. Some but naive and everything else. But this Walsingham character played by Jeffrey Rush, um, he advises her, you know, a prince should never back down from acts of ruthlessness, he says. And in the end, there's this sort of scene where uh, Jeffrey Rush produces the evidence of all of Queen Elizabeth's most most closest friends and allies, and he produces evidence that they have all been conspiring against her, conspiring to betray her. And, and he says, all that needs be due is this paper be signed and treason will have been committed. And, and with tears flowing down her eyes that she has been so betrayed by those closest to her, she looks at him and she says, then let them sign it and let it all be done. And of course... They all eagerly sign the pact between one another, uh, themselves on how to share power after, uh, after um, dethroning Elizabeth. And of course, it's all orchestrated by Walsingham. And then they're all arrested and either imprisoned or, or beheaded. Or... And the final scene of the film, Elizabeth is broken and withered and tired and exhausted and crying and and she's looking up she's in the cathedral of Westminster Abbey or wherever she is and she's looking up at the Virgin Mary and you know that the uh, Protestant Reformation in 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 England the the Church of England the the creation of, uh, no sorry she, uh, Elizabeth did the, the Church of England her father the 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 break from the Catholic Church in Engl in the uh, formation of English Protestantism a lot of it had to do with the argument over the Blessed Virgin Mary, whether or not Mary was a virgin or not. And that this whole civil war was between Catholics and Protestants. And so in the final scene of the movie, she's looking up at the Virgin Mary and she says, she says, she says, she held so much sway over men's hearts. that they would be willing to kill for her and die for her. And Walsingham says, yes, because man must be able to touch the divine here on earth. And in the immediate scene following, we see Elizabeth, her hair being cut by her um, her her uh, uh, handmaidens, her mistresses, her the, the ones who, who her, her ladies-in-waiting, or whatever they're called, her servants, but her uh, female servants that, that prepare her for, for, to, for public appearances. And, and they're dying, they're putting that white um, cream on her hands and her arms and her face. 
and then she puts that elaborate wig and headdress and this this dress and and it's her coronation and she's walking down the aisle of Westminster Abbey and she's this larger than life angelic self-made madonna snow white and she pauses and she with a deep 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 voice she says to lord burley who had been nagging her to get married the entire film and she shows him the ring the ring of the state the, the state ring that the monarch wears and she shows it to, and she says observe lord burley i am married to england and she goes and she sits on the throne and that's that's the final scene and we have an epilogue and elizabeth's rule has been called the golden age the first elizabeth but she took at least according to the drama of the film but the takeaway from that is and she and she asks Walsingham. She says, "Must no one, m must, must I be near to no one? Can no one ever get near me? Must I cloister myself off from the world?" And Walsingham says, "I, to reign supreme." And then he says the bit about to reign supreme, and then he says the bit about the. Uh, about being, uh, they need to be able to touch the divine here on earth. And so Elizabeth created this persona, this public persona, this mask that completely hypnotized and mesmerized the nation and made them feel like she was a divinely ordained goddess, an empress. And, of course, her rule was ironclad and her accomplishments were extraordinary. What they don't talk about, of course, is that one of her closest advisors later in her rule was Sir Francis Bacon, also known as Count St. Germain, also known as William Shakespeare, whose plays Queen Elizabeth attended in secret. What does that tell us about who ruled England under Elizabeth's reign. And who advised Elizabeth? And who entertained Elizabeth and informed Elizabeth in tragedies and dramas that Elizabeth had to attend in secret so as not to destroy her public persona of being a living Madonna, of being a, a godlike queen and a godlike ruler. But Count Saint Germain, who is a very, very, very high-ranking ascended master of the, of the White Lodge, 
only Count St. Germain could write the King James Bible, and only he could write the plays of Shakespeare. That is, as he called himself, Sir Francis Bacon. What we see in film and in television, we always see the archetype of the evil advisor. It's very, very, very rare to see the other side, where you have a great ruler, a strong ruler, or a benevolent king, or a benevolent queen, or what have you, and that, that it's revealed that in the shadows behind the curtain is a magician. Is a magician. A white magician. A magician of the White Lodge. And Aleph, who is one with the Logos, an ascended master, a bodhisattva, guiding that temporal, corporal, worldly ruler, king. Do you see how powerful a mythology Tolkien is and how important a mythology is? it is? To understand this about our world, The White Lodge does not sleep. The White Lodge does not neglect. And the White Lodge does not uh, rule. But it also doesn't sit back, hands off, and not do anything. No one can accuse Gandalf of being a slacker. <laughs> <laughs> he likes his pipe weed. Okay, we know that. <laughs> he likes his pipe weed from the south farthing. Okay, we got it. We know that. Okay, all right. We'll give him that. But Gandalf is no slacker. The magician is no slacker. And the absolute has all but been emptied of bodhisattva. Because they're all here. They're all here. Doing impossible to envision and imagine and 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 put your put our fingers on. But they have infiltrated and are infiltrating every single corridor of power and corridor of government and leader and ruler and person of influence and person of power. We have agents everywhere. What, you think only the Black Lodge plays this game? You think only the Black Lodge has its worm tongues? No. Let's not be so naive. Let's not be so foolish. This is the game on the world stage in macrocosm as it is on our inner stage in microcosm. On it is behind the curtain. 
inside our own mind as our little grima worm tongues whisper in our ear, trying to glaze over our eyes like King Theoden. Let us not be so, let, let us not fall into the trap of the Black Lodge, of divide and conquer, of either base sentimentality about queen this and queen that and queen mother and queen family and blah, 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 blah. blah. But let's also not fall into the trap of lizard people and this and that and eating babies and, and drinking blood and all that kind of stuff. Let's, we're not talking about, we're not talking about Charles. We're not here talking about Charles. We're talking about Queen Elizabeth who, believe you me, she would have happily advocated the throne and stepped aside if she had any semblance, uh, if she had any... uh, uh, notion or or feeling or gut or or any kind of uh confidence that her successor would be anything other than a complete and total failure and disaster as it is charles is what 80 something 70 he's he's up there Even if he does sit on the throne, it's going to be a short rule. And if he has any sense and any semblance of decency or honor left in him, he will step aside and let his son, William, who has Diana's blood and Diana's William can be advised. William has the power to be for all those lost and hopeless zombies what their heart bleeds for and yearns for to be able to touch the divine on earth and they can't do it they can't Let us not sit here on our high thrones, on our hobby horses and look down on them because they hold on to some of the, one of the only symbols of goodness and decency left in this suffering humanity. When the church has failed them, when the Pope has failed them, when their bishops have failed them, when the new age has failed them, when the traditions they hold dear, near and dear to their heart, the foundations on which they grew up and on which this whole humanity is built are being eaten away at. 
by the ravages of time and the ferocity of Divine Mother Kali because it's the end of the Piscean Age. And it's the end of this humanity. And those seven billion people, of course they cling to their beliefs. Of course they cling to their dogma and their Bible and their Jesus. Because it's all they have. They don't have what we have. They can't go within and meditate and get a sense of peace and happiness and joy from within. They have to be able to touch God here on earth. And if they can't do it inside, then God damn it, they're going to do it outside somehow. Somehow. Let us not have the mystic pride to judge these poor and lost suffering souls. All they want to be able to do is know God in whatever little way they can. And thank God Elizabeth had the decency and the resilience and the constitution to last as long as he did. So her disaster of a son's reign will be short-lived, inshallah. Let us not fall into the superficial Black Lodge narratives. Yes, it's an old institution. Yes, it's corrupt. Yes, it's so many other things. But it also gives people hope. And there are good kings and good queens, and then there are bad kings and terrible, disastrous rulers and monarchs. This is one of the lessons we learn from films like Gladiator, which is based more or less on real history, minus the Maximus storyline. But Marcus Aurelius, the great Stoic philosopher, had a screw-up, fuck-up son who became emperor. And yes, he really did fight in the gladiatorial arena in completely rigged matches. This happens all the time. But do not think that the, that the White Lodge is only concerned about your enlightenment. And Jordan Peterson, for all his intellectualism and all the you know reasons why we could rail against what he said to that audience, he's not called Jordan by accident because John the Baptist baptized in the Jordan. He is preparing souls 
for the return of the Christ. Because that's what John the Baptist does as an archetype. And that is what Jordan Peterson is doing as an archetype. He is the the embodiment of that archetype in this day and age in the West. We have to be infinitely practical. The work that the Logos is doing here now is more practical and more down-to-earth and more rubber meets the road than, than anything that we study in esoteric texts. We have to go back to the, 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 the Bible or the Bhagavad Gita or the Quran where avatars and bodhisattva were, were, were doing great political campaigns and military campaigns and 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 the uh, the the allegory of 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 uh, Moses liberating the Israelites from Egypt and Noah building the ark and saving and like these are allegories they're fantastical but so is Tolkien Lord of the Rings is about as fantastical as it can get but it is revealing such practical, down-to-earth, universal truths for every Grima worm tongue. There's someone playing the role of Gandalf, if not Gandalf himself, or the equivalent of a Gandalf, like Count St. Germain. The closest and secret advisor. Well, not so secret. Because, because, because uh, Sir Francis Bacon was at court. He was at court. He was a wealthy man. He was well known. He hobnobbed. He walked, with, he, walked among, he walked among the denizens of the dragon's den. Because that is what bodhisattvas do. They do exactly what Gandalf does. They leap into the pit after the Balrog. Bodhisattvas descend into hell to liberate souls from hell. And this world is in hell. We are in hell. This humanity is in hell. And the absolute is is empty because the bodhisattvas are here doing what they do best, suffering and sacrificing for the sake of humanity. And that which thou dost for the least among them thou doest unto me speaketh the Christ. So let us all get off our high horses and let us all take ourselves down a couple notches on the mystic pride and on the conspiracy thing and on the let's shit on Elizabeth II in every way, shape, and form we can publicly 
and denounce and disgrace and 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 uh you don't know the truth you don't know the facts she was not aiming to be the longest serving monarch in history out of ego she has no power in the day-to-day working she's just an advisor she's just an advisory role to the polit- politicians and whatever happens in the back doors in the back rooms of that family and whatever people say about them and this and that and the wealthy this and the wealthy that and so on and so forth it put yourselves in the shoes of that young woman and the prison that she lived in for 70 years. Yeah, prison. Imagine not being able to go anywhere without having an entourage around you. Why do you think she drove her 4x4s and went hunting and went out into the wilderness to get away? To escape a life that that is not glamorous and exciting and you know whatever. And why do you think we don't know anything about Charlie in the public eye? Because he is what he is. You have a family. Not everybody in your family is just one way. Every family has its black sheep. The one who doesn't fit in, the one who doesn't belong, the one who's just a little out there, or the one who's not like any of the rest of them. Or maybe there's a couple of them that stick together, and then the rest of them are whatever. But don't think the White Lodge is blind, that the Logos is stupid. Gandalf is not a slacker. And don't think for a second that rulers of import making important decisions for the sake of this humanity are just thrown to the wind. Free will is there. The magician does not rule. The magician does not govern. Free will is an absolute law of the universe that the White Lodge will not violate. But advise, teach, assist, raise up onto their shoulders, elevate, Help them know themselves. Help them connect to that inner inner source of truth, light, and love within themselves. Help them achieve their highest expression in this lifetime. Whatever level they are at. Whatever level they are at. 
nothing is as uh, black and white and as simple as our ego minds would like them to be. Cut and dry. The picture is so simple. Oh, I just have to watch a video on the internet and I know everything now. No, you don't. Just as we don't. But we know this. That what we see on the surface is just that, the surface. And what we hear on the surface is just that, the surface. And the last time we checked, the ocean runs pretty deep. Who among us has the power and authority to penetrate into the souls of men and judge what we find therein? Who among us? You? We don't. Let us take that hammer of ours and that trident of ours and point it at ourselves for once. How about that? And show some good old-fashioned dignity and integrity and honor and respect, even for our adversaries, even for our so-called enemies, if there is such a thing in this world, and there isn't. We have adversaries. We have obstacles. We have challenges. Yes. The Black Lodge is not our enemy. Because when we point that trident and wield Molnir against ourselves and we identify that Loki, that trickster inside of us who longs for Odin's throne and he envies uh, Thor that Thor is Odin's son and Thor is first line to the throne so Loki does everything that he can to try to win the throne. And he in Loki's ways are deception and cleverness. That is what rules us now. Loki is what rules us now, for the most part, this humanity. And all of us. Our inner emperor is at best, like Theoden, completely hypnotized and glazed over by our inner worm tongue whispering in his ear poison sending the, those poisonous thoughts and emotions and sensations and the death of Queen Elizabeth II 
represents for many people another expression of what Jordan Peterson was talking about. If Queen Elizabeth being alive and on the throne for 70 years was and was was giving that stability and that longevity to the monarchy uh, in the wake of a, a uh, an heir to the throne who was a complete disaster from day one. He is... This is something you, you can know intuitively just by looking at him. And we're not talking about his physical appearance now. Something is seriously, seriously not right there. And whatever you may think or believe about his mother, his mother still upheld. And whatever the country and the nation thought of her uh, during the divorce and and following the death of Diana and all that internal family drama that spilled out into the nation and into the world. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that, is that uh, her son, just take whatever you think and believe about her and just multiply it by factors of whatever you want to multiply them by. But having said all of that, the death of Queen Elizabeth has profound and will have profound repercussions for this humanity. Number one, if Charles takes the throne, many, 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 many more people are going to be become much more aware of uh, of many things. And the monarchy will die. The monarchy can't survive a reign of King Charles. Can't. And that'll be, in some ways, a tragic way, a tragic thing, because what Jordan Peterson laid out, for many, many, many people, their one and only way of touching the divine here on earth will be gone. Because the monarch in England is, head, is um, I think we have this right, is, is, is technically head of the Church of England. Henry the um, I think Elizabeth the first set that in motion. They have the uh, the uh, the bishop um, the bishop of uh, not Westminster. Anyway, they have their top bishop, the Church of England, but technically the 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 monarch is not only a head of state. Technically, I think she's also the head of the Church of England. Um, we might be wrong on that. 
we might not have that detail correct, but we it feels like like that's the case. And but every crisis, right, is danger and opportunity. Which, which, by the way, that's not translated correctly. The uh, the word opportunity there can mean many things, and in that context in which it is used, it means a point of change, so inflection point. Um, Anytime there's a power vacuum, there's a danger because something is going to slip in and take control in that power vacuum. This is what happens in our own psyche when we observe the egos fighting amongst themselves for power and control over us. And our innermost being uh, reaching out and calling to us to get our attention and our consciousness away from the game of king of the hill that the egos are fighting and and back into into the wheelhouse of our innermost so that struggle is always going on inside of us and that dominance hierarchy that's why that dominance hierarchy exists in nature and in all human endeavors from politics to sports, there's always this, this jockeying for, for position, for number one position. And into that comes the archetype of the magician. The magician doesn't play that game. The magician's hierarchies are in the supernal worlds. They are solar hierarchies they are not lunar hierarchies they're not worldly hierarchies the magician doesn't seek accolades followers money fame fortune none of it there's nothing in the world that the magician seeks other than to help others fulfill their destiny and achieve their highest expression to help monads get as far along on their path and do as much service for the rest of humanity as possible. This is what the path of the Bodhisattva is. It is a path of service and sacrifice. When we say that, we, we, we have to try to wrap our minds around it. The ego mind has a very difficult time of, yeah, they can conceptualize it. Yeah, 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 I know what you're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 no. You have to conceive of it. You have to comprehend it in your consciousness. What that means. What that's like. What that entails. What that costs. And 
comprehend that not everybody is Count Saint Germain and become you know wealthy like Sir Francis Bacon was and everything else. Not all bodhisattvas are fabulously wealthy and powerful and and influential in that sense. But many, for practical reasons, they will have access to or ascend to that sort of worldly position. Because in the world, if you want to have influence, you have to be able, you have to be part of the club. You have to blend in. There's no other way. It's very, very, very rare to enter into the the secret and hidden uh, chambers of the Black Lodge without a without a cloak, a, a vestment of 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 gold. There's there's nobody in a uh, in a, uh, uh, a sackcloth and robe going into those chambers except for people like Sadguru. which may tell you something. So the death of a monarch. Oh, by the way, hopefully now you know why we talked about your majesty and where the word your majesty comes from and the word majestic comes from. Hermes Trismagistus, the thrice blessed Hermes, Tot, the, the writer of the Emerald Tablets of Tot, the thrice blessed Bodhisattva and ascended master, Hermes. Mercury, messenger of the gods, Hermes in, in to the Romans. Magistus. Blessed, blessed. Your majesty comes from that. that. That somewhere along the lines, somebody turned the G to a J. Again, Black Lodge shenanigans. Your majesty means, O blessed one. Blessed by God, chosen by God. Because they reflect and convey that blessedness, that love in their rule, through their rule. Which brings us to that whole question of rule. Remember we said that the emperor doesn't rule? that the emperor longs to return and be one with the Logos, to, to rise to that level. The emperor longs to achieve the level of the Magi, of the magician. And the emperor will follow the advice, because the emperor, our being, will follow the advice of his innermost being. But his innermost being doesn't want to rule. 
So who rules? That's a that's a actual question. We're curious to see what uh, what uh, uh, you guys come up with. Um, we have a bunch of comments. Let's uh, go back and answer some of them. Um, uh, Safit says, uh, human beings suffer of severe forgetfulness. Our DNA still contains imprint of centuries, long survival trauma while we are digitally being led to what? And then he says, I-O, O-I. Azazil says, uh, well, so the answer is, It depends for each individual what their karma is. The karma for this humanity is very great. It's very heavy. There's a lot of it. Uh, for many, they can't escape their karma. For many, they're going to their, to their doom. They're, they're going to the second death. They're, they're, they're going to the infernal worlds. And there's no avoiding that. Because they're so far gone, they cannot be helped. But for everyone else... We are here to help them as best as we can escape their hell and, and get to at least a level where either them personally or their, their offspring, their line, their DNA line can, um, can find their way to the new golden age and benefit from well, and hopefully make good use out of that and continued their development as monads. As Azil says, it is a Luciferian process in nature regardless. Um, as Azil, if you're still there, you'll have to, you'll have to uh, um, elaborate what precisely we were talking about when you made that comment. Um, Lucifer is the light bringer. And yes, we all have the fallen Lucifer and like Lucifer has multiple different meanings and interpretations just depending on your point of view. Um, but what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and the Black Lodge ultimately works for the White Lodge. That which makes us fall is precisely that which we need to see, which is precisely why we fall. If there's a banana peel on the sidewalk and we don't notice it, there's only really one way to, to get us to notice the banana peel, and that's to have a slip, a slip on it and fall. And then we say, oh, I better clean that up. I better make my bed. Safit says, only hypothetically can we see everything within and between No, not hypothetically. There's no hypothetically or there's no hypothetical in gnosis. That's intellectual. That's intellectual conceptual nonsense. Only the intellect hypothesizes. The consciousness doesn't hypothesize. The consciousness knows because the consciousness experiences. And what the consciousness doesn't know, it doesn't speculate on because it knows that's fantasy. Only the only that's that's only the the machinations of ego mind. That's the zero and one from that digital technolo technological, that's the virtual reality, the, the artificial intelligence of the ego mind. Um, Azazel says, just as the mark upon the body or the sword represents 
in the Lord of the Rings series. It marks the return of Sauron. Yes, it does. And um, yeah. Did you see episode three on uh, Friday? Because they, uh, they, they discovered that it's, 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 it's not a mark leading them to a place. It's, it's a map showing them the place. It's, it's, uh, it was good. Um, and uh, Benjamin said that that was an interesting comment and that uh, the lunar is what helps or what's there to push us in endeavors, if I'm correct. Uh, life is baffling. Life is baffling. And we've talked about this many, many, many times, but it's worthwhile repeating because uh, it's worthwhile repeating. Can we make that bigger? Oh, uh, maybe. There we go. Um, water. This is how water comes alive. Right? This is why uh, the freshest, most refreshing, revitalizing, life-giving water is natural spring water or, or water that's been going through a babbling brook. Because every time it hits those rocks, it hits those rapids, it gets churned and it gets, it's, it's, this is, this is, this is water's uh, weightlifting. This is water's exercise. This is water's life. Water descends into hell where it's used and abused and exploited and, 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 and it has to become the physical bodies of all of these animals and plants and everything, that's the, that's the sylphs and, uh, uh, sorry, the, um, the, uh, like basically the mermaids, the elementals of the water, that's their, that's their life. That's their existence. The, the, the elementals of the, of water. And they never know what they're going to be next. Like we're what 70, 80, 90% water, whatever it is, human beings They say 66 to, to, to whatever 80% water. Well, that's, those are beings in there. There's monads. Those are monads. And they have to suffer whatever you're putting them through. And if you're putting poison in the water before you drink it, you're drinking poison water, essentially, when you drink alcohol. Um, that's, you're poisoning that water. That's, there's monads experiencing that. And if, and if the water you know, ends up in a pond and it's not flowing, it's sitting there and stagnant. Well, now... It has to be host to all of this, this uh, algae and all of this, you know, and then it's stagnant water and its energy level goes way down. It goes into a kind of coma. It goes into a kind of hibernation. And, and other and other entities and creatures, they thrive in that, in that place of dead, putrid, stale, stagnant water because the water is practically dead, and so the parasites come to feed off of it and exploit it. That's what's water's nature. Because all of nature, well, that's why scientists are looking for liquid water on other worlds to try to determine if there's life on other planets. Because without water, there's no life. And all of that makes water stronger. And the more abuse water takes 
at the hands of... The more baffling life is, the stronger and more structured and more life-giving water becomes. Now, what does that sound like to you? How does that differ? We don't get better by achieving things. We get better by failing. We get better by running into obstacles we cannot overcome and then having to find the way, the strength, the endurance, and the inner strength and the inner wisdom, the inner knowledge to overcome them. And that's why here, here we, you know, it doesn't matter if you're if it's you're 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 a computer programmer, a piano player, a pilot, you know, building your muscles, building your your intellect, your knowledge, or or any socioeconomic endeavor, it doesn't matter. Which is why the golden age emerges out of the incredible turbulence and destruction and dismantling of the previous age and all the corrupt and overblown and overgrown and stagnant and putridness of the previous humanity has to be churned and burned it has to be all the baffles 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 the water has to flow. The currents must flow, but in the right way, in the positive way. The seeds for the golden age are planted at the end of the iron age, of the previous age. And we have to comprehend that even though the Aquarian age began in 1964, whatever it is, February something at something something in the afternoon. See, we don't we don't bother ourselves with those details because, frankly, nobody gives a damn. Really, nobody does. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The golden age began, 60s. We all know, we all get it. Flower kids, flower children, sexual revolution. Okay, we all get it. But when you step out into the rain, you're still very much dry when you step out into the rain. You're not in the house anymore. You're outside in the rain, but you're not wet yet. It takes time to get soaking wet. It takes time to get completely saturated with the rain. And during that time of that, there's a process of saturation. And saturation, getting wet is as much a process of becoming undry, of leaving behind and getting rid of the dryness that we are still carrying with you from inside. So it's this crisscross pattern, right? Something is on the decline, something is on the rise, and they crisscross, and and we're in that we're in that that zone. It's obvious. It should be obvious. And that means there are clashes, big time conflicts and clashes. And it's a great time of confusion, just as it's written in the Bible, just as Nostradamus and all the other uh, prophets uh, uh, um, of the end times uh, predicted. 
It's a time of great confusion. Why is that? Well, because number one, it's confusing enough when you have the White Lodge and Black Lodge duking it out for supremacy under the influence of a single age, the Piscean Age, which is very form-oriented. And it's very, you know, it's very Thor's hammer, right? It's very Neptune's trident. It's very That's why Jesus taught people how to pray word for word, pray like this, right? That's, you know, this is how you pray. This is, this is what you do. Do this in memory of me. And it was all formalized and ritualized and, and, and so on, because that's very Piscean. But Aquarius, it's like the opposite of that. Aquarius is change, constant change, fluidity. And it's, and it's, it's, formless form. But those two things are opposite and they're, they're overlapping right now. So it's just like the, the crazy whitewater rapids and this humanity is trying to like kayak through those waters. It's, it's, it's turbulence. It's, it's turbulence. But it has to be that way because we have to enliven and, and reinvigorate and re-energize the waters. Uh, let's get back to the uh, questions. Okay, so yeah, the lunar, uh, Benjamin says, the lunar is what helps what, yes, yes, yes. Okay, we just covered it. To follow up on my previous comment, the solar is what we strive to. Yes, because the baffles, the lunar is what helps us become our highest expression, our highest self, our, our, our best self at our level. And so when we get to that level and we can't go any further at that level, we, we are, excuse me, we're given an opportunity to advance to the next, to the next level. And that's there in all the role-playing games and all that archetypal stuff. So you experience points, gain you levels, and then you get to the next level, then you go to the next dungeon and blah, 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 blah. Even the dark serves the light. Yes, this is true. Azazel has a longer comment here. We were marked similarly in a dream once, but it is too painful and too profound to give details upon. So that comment is from experience. But yes, it can be an iron poker that motivates us. Yes, uh, we all have this experience to one degree or another. I don't mean the, the specifically your dream, but the iron poker uh, we've all had the iron poker up the you-know-what. And it's a universal experience because our Divine Mother is a stern taskmaster. Tough love. To be a mother, to be a good mother, you have to be able to dish out severity and mercy. If you just only give one kind of love, only the huggy-feely stroke stroke stroking oh my poor baby oh come here come to mama come to mama come to mama if that's all you get you're gonna turn out like charlie and something tells me that elizabeth probably had plenty of tough love it's just that charlie was just a bad seed just a bad seed just sometimes you just get a bad, you know, a bad apple. 
and and I'm not saying that they're angels, but you know, there's demons, and then there's then there's you know there's there's arch demons, just like there's angels and there's archangels. They have their hierarchies. The infernals have their hierarchies, and also, this is also you know, uh, this is an archetype which is explored in that film, Master and Commander, Dark Side of the World. And which is a brilliant, brilliant film, not least for its realism and authenticity to the time. Like they actually built that ship and the actors actually lived on the ship and learned how to do all those things that they were doing. Peter Weir, the director, was a little fanatical about, about capturing you know, what it was really like. And because, of course, he wanted to be faithful to the uh, the novels, and the uh, the novels, I the name of the author just slipped my just is escaping me. It's not coming to mind right now, but um, and and there's the one character who uh, everybody starts accusing of being a Jonah. They think that he's cursed. And he starts believing it. And and nobody will talk to him. Nobody likes him. He is the he becomes the scapegoat of all the ship's problems. And uh, and he eventually decides that he's going to take matters into his own hands and liberate the ship from his demonic influence. And this is an archetype. But you see, that character, which by the way, if you watch the film again. Try and tell me that that character wasn't cast for the reason that he looks like a young Prince Charles. It may be complete coincidence. But that archetype is there. It exists. The bad apple, the bad seed. And it works both ways. Every family has a black sheep of the family. And sometimes the family is, we might call, on the darker side. And what, the, and the, what they call a black sheep is actually a white sheep or a white wolf. Whatever you want to, however you want to think about it. A border collie, whatever you want to think about it. But sometimes... The family is a little bit on the more gray side, a little bit lighter in shade. And then there's really the black sheep. And that's what we were talking earlier about. Uh, that's Commodus in Gladiator. Because his father is honorable and noble and philosophic and stoic. It's one of the fathers of stoicism. And, um, and then there's uh, Lucilla uh his daughter Commodus's sister and 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 there's that great scene when when Marcus Aurelius has this lovely intimate moment with his daughter and and um and he says if only you had been born a man what a caesar you would have made because he's he's so proud of all of her qualities but then he says you would have been wise but i wonder would you have been just and he he's poking her and you know prodding her and 
and uh, you know so on. He's 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 pricking her conscience that way. Would you? What would you do with absolute power? And uh, and she says, I would I would I would be what you taught me to be. And he's like, Ah, if that's 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 a politician's answer, but I suppose I'll have to take it. <laughs> that's the <laughs> that's the uh, <laughs> that's the subtext of him going, Ah. Mm. How was your journey? <laughs> it's like, it's a uh, um, uh, look. If there's anything, and we we said this in the description to today's live stream. If there's any model we live by, it's it's that the living, breathing Word of God is all around us. It's everywhere. This is a very Aquarian, new methodology. In the Piscean age, people turned to their elders, their uh, lords, their rulers, their governments, their institutions, their religions, their religious leaders, their religious authority, their scriptures, their traditions. The memories of their ancestors, the the influence of their DNA and their bloodlines, and on and on and on and on it goes. They were all clinging to this form because it's a very Piscean thing to do. Order, structure, form. And Aquarius dispenses with all of that. We say to you. You want to know, you want to understand the alm of life? You want to understand this? Go out into nature. Go and watch a pop culture movie. Go and take a course. Learn how to swim. Go and uh, meditate on a uh, on a snail shell. Like, you want to understand the alm of life? You want to understand how... Einstein said, I want to know how God thinks. The rest are just details. You want to know how God thinks? Go out into the world and observe the world. And then you will discover how God is. Because it is what it is. And if you meditate on that, you discover at its very foundations, at the, at the heart, the heart truth, the in Gnosis, they have this expression, the heart teaching of all the world religions is Gnosis. The heart teaching, that the very heart of all religions is Gnosis. And we say to you that at the very heart is the essence of God itself. And that, that it is at the very heart of all things. Good, evil, black, white, this, that, it doesn't matter. The alm of life is the modality of modalities. It is the paradigm of paradigms. The upward spiral and the downward spiral. The expanding spiral or the contracting spiral. Radiating or synthesizing. Expanding or contracting, expanding or contracting, because that's the great in-breath and out-breath of the universe. And in that expansion and contraction, the spiral is going up or the spiral is going down. 
It's either moving up to know itself and be together and one as one to join the great brotherhood of, of uh, awakened and ascended monads in the universe. Or it's going down further and further away from achieving that. That's it. There's four spirals. Actually, there's two spirals going in two directions, but with two different orientations. So it's you can expand upwards, or you can synthesize upwards, and you can expand downwards and synthesize downwards. That's it. That's it. There's nothing else. There's no other options. Think about it. You don't think about it. Meditate on it. What am I talking about? But we can dispense with all of that Piscean stuff. If you have the eyes to see and the ears to hear, and once you have the keys, and these are the keys. Yes, yes, of course, there are more keys, and there's 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 higher and more advanced stuff, and, and yes, of course, of course. It's not quite as simple as all that. But guess what? The avatar of Aquarius came and synthesized all that and collected all that. And Glorian.org has documented all of that. Everything that you need is there. And what we're doing is taking all of that collection and accumulation and organization and synthesis of all of that knowledge from the previous ages, the Piscean age and before, going all the way back and, and not just this humanity, but going all the way back to Atlantis. And what we are doing is stripping away the excess and getting right down to the need-to-know information. Because in the time of confusion, in the age of confusion, when the turbulence, when the storm, in the middle of the storm and everything else, you need two things. The eye of the storm and you need the lighthouse. You don't need your flight manual, your 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 how do ships work, and you, the history of the history of uh, uh, um, uh, uh, nautical adventures. And you don't need the score of the HMS Pinafore. Simple, practical, down to earth, rubber meets the road. Need to know information because this humanity is in hell. And it's like Bruce Lee said, and he said it, you know, the highest form is no form. And he's talked about, you know, be like water. That's the Aquarian. That Bruce Lee, why Bruce Lee was so rejected by the, uh, the Kung Fu, uh, the martial arts, particularly the Kung Fu traditions, was that they, they saw him as very arrogant. And of course, he was very, he loved the spotlight. He, 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 he reveled and he relished in showing the world the Aquarian ideal of martial arts. Because again, martial arts is look at the Piscean tradition in martial arts. Everything is forms. You got to do it this way. Look at dancing. Dancing. Oh, tango, foxtrot, this, that, that, that. You have the step. You got you to do it like this. Both myself and our ecosystem guru, Wolfgang, we dance like Aquarians. 
We dance tango. We dance ballroom dancing. But we dance like Aquarians. We have the basic and we have the beat. We know the basic. You have to know the basic. But that's the kernel. That's the nucleus. After that, it's you, you have the constraints, but the Aquarian age is all about being fluid and moving and, and creating within the constraints and then pushing the constraints and, 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 and shifting the constraints and remolding and adapting and reinventing. And every time you do the dance, it's new and different. That's the Aquarian spirit. It doesn't mean you throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's not this, what the hell do they call it? In, what do they call it? Intentional dance? No, no. Uh, ecstatic dance. Ecstatic dance. They, that's what they call it, the New Agers. Ecstatic dance, they call it. Horseshit. Bullshit. Ego masturbation. 100%. 100%. You cannot be creative without constraints. We'll say that again. You cannot be creative without constraints. You cannot create without constraints. It's impossible. You know how we know that? There's only one place in the megalocosmos which has no constraints. Do you know where that is? It's the solar absolute. It's the absolute abstract space. It's the absolute abstract nothingness. There's no constraints there because there's nothing there. And because there's no constraints, there's no nothing. There are no baffles. There's, there's, there's no baffles. Without baffles, there's no life. Without constraints, there's no creativity. There's no obstacles. There's, there's no challenge. There's nothing to overcome. There's nothing that can be overcome. There's no progress without constraints. So ecstatic dance, it's, it's, it's nothing. That's why you, you will never want to watch ecstatic dance. You might want to do it because it feels good and this and that and the other thing. But there's no art in it. There's no creativity in it. There isn't. Art for art's sake is one of the most, art for art's sake is one of the most obnoxious and, and insulting to God, insulting to creation. You think God creates for himself? You think artists create for themselves? They don't. You think Beethoven and Mozart, you think that Michelangelo nearly went blind painting the Sistine Chapel for his own health? No. No. Art for art's sake is the atheist, secular, bullshit rationale for something that they can't touch. The divine here on earth. So what do they do? They raise art to the throne. Art itself becomes their ruler. And they worship art itself. Or they worship the artist. They make it a cult of personality and they worship the artist. 
and they make the artist into a personality. Uh, um, uh, uh, yeah, an idol. Sorry, they idolize the artist. They make of the artist an idol, just like religious fanatics do. Because as Walsingham told Elizabeth I, and advised her, and out of that, at least theoretically, at least dramatically, as the film portrays it, out of that advice, and was it Walsingham or was it Sir Francis Bacon? Who knows? But out of that advice was born this larger-than-life mythical idol for the people to worship, for the people to idolize, to unite the nation under strength, and with some sort of resplendence, with some sort of reflection or expression of the solar, uh, uh, the, the, the emperor, the god within, the solar light. And that's what we see in high art. And cynics can argue that, well, they, she only did that for her own well-being and her own power and this and that and the other thing and so on and so forth. And cynics can argue that till they're blue in the face. But why did Count St. Germain dedicate his life to advising Elizabeth I? And why did he dedicate his life to creating the works of Shakespeare? What, for his own benefit? For his own benefit, he wrote the most important words ever written in the English language, to be or not to be? He wrote that for himself? That's art for art's sake? Atheists and secularists and people who, people who have to create something to worship and idolize to fill the void, to fill the gap in their, in, their, in their psyche, in their soul, because they cannot touch the divine within themselves. They have to invent a divine outside of themselves and yearn for it and attach to it and identify with it. Precisely because they have absolutely no concept of what the true nature of that, that is, the bodhisattva. But when a bodhisattva does live and shows the world by his actions or her actions and suffers and sacrifices themselves for their nation or their people or their well-being or, or history or the grand picture which is well beyond the scope of the average person, let alone the so-called pundits and experts. When an individual like that, after they, they, they pass away or disincarnate, uh, they are somehow immortalized in the minds and in the history books. They are canonized using the parlance of the Catholic Church. That's why the Catholic Church has all those saints, like St. Saint Francis, for example, and Joan of Arc, who was eventually canonized as a saint. She was burned at the stake as a heretic, but then later the, uh, the Church recanted and canonized her. Because this humanity, as degenerated and forlorn and lost and hopeless and helpless and hapless as it, as it is, it needs to be able to touch the divine here on earth 
and the bodhisattvas are here to help make that very real and very practical for them. But more importantly, to point the way and show them how they can touch the divine in themselves. And with that inner guidance, with that inner intuition, and with that those eyes to see and the ears to hear, they will be able to see and hear and touch the divine in everything. That's the Aquarian message. That's what's that's what these new agers are all about intuitively. They feel and they're trying to get at it, but they can't because they've because they've abandoned all constraints. Because their ego minds, the Black Lodge, has poisoned and twisted their intuition into we're all gods already. We're all gods already. Well, if God is in everything and I can see and touch and hear and smell and taste God and everything, then I then it's already inside of me. So I don't have to do anything. Pass me some more mushrooms. No. No. This is this is the conceptual intellectual cop-out. This is the precisely the spiritual bypassing that even many New Agers are waking up to. Without constraints, we cannot grow. We cannot be creative. We cannot create our human soul without constraints. One last thing. One last thing. Let's say for a moment, and let's be candid about this, the externalization of a ruler as a proxy for our innermost, that is, Um, substituting the dominion of our innermost emperor with some externalized idol, be that idol religious, secular, or political, or monarchical, traditional. All these different words apply to all the different idols that people worship. Or conceptual, or abstract like worshipping art itself. Art for art's sake. Art for art's sake, is that not I am that I am? The holy name of God? Art for art's sake. Well, that's that's just like, you know, I worship I am that I am. I worship God. And they worship art for art's sake. Art that is art. Art that lives for itself. Which is really a twisted and inverted version of I am that I am that becomes... Um, I am, I am for myself, which is the opposite, the antithesis of God, the antithesis of the logos. Art for art's sake. Think about that. That's like that's not saying I am that I am. I am what I am. Art for art's sake is 
I am for my own sake. And you might argue, but yeah, but God is in everything, so it really is for his own sake, except that there's individuation and free will. And that God is not an I, God is a we. So, in any case, the fact that this externalized, egoic, intellectual, and sentimental crutch proxy that so many people are relying on and so many people have relied on because they can't touch God within themselves, they have to rely on this externalized, uh, traditional, archaic, and soon to become farcical and obnoxious beyond imagination um, institution of stretching all the way back to the Babylonian uh, times, uh, origins of this, of this particular humanity and the fall of Babylon. Uh, when all of this ridiculous nonsense of ruling uh, and with an iron fist and ruling families and ruling bloodlines and oh my God, just goes on and on and on and it's just absolute ridiculous retardedness. It is stupidity. Well, you know what? Art for art's sake is stupidity, but um, The ultimate opportunity here is for the Logos, for the Christ, to, it's, it's for the magician to come. For Gandalf and for a war for Middle Earth to come, because no, no one is sitting on the throne of Gondor, but a steward. And that steward has been poisoned by Sauron. He's, he's, he's not the king, he's just a, he's just a steward of the throne, but he's been the proximity to Mordor has poisoned his, his, his mind. So, um, the opportunity is for Gandalf, the magician, the bodhisattvas who are here working, to uh, restore the rightful heir to the throne of Gondor, which is the innermost. This turmoil... This uh, power vacuum, this sh this bozo that's going to ascend to the throne because he can't help himself, this Commodus, this modern-day Commodus who ascends to the throne because he can't help himself, um, and block William, his son, who being the son of Diana, and Diana is the divine, mo divine mother, by the way, Diana, um, and related to Dionysus, the Dionysian festival, which was the festival um, of creativity, of art, and of imagination, which is, which of course prevails during the Golden Age. So, um, and you see the difference between Harry and Meghan, who express their disdain for everything that was going on there, and they they said to hell with it. We're we're getting the hell out before we end up like them, perhaps. Even though Harry had his own bout with crazy wild parties and everything else, like he had his own stint. But somehow, 
William seems as though he somehow dodged a bullet with all of that. Regardless, what we see happening externally in macrocosm is what happens internally in microcosm each and every time we comprehend an ego and our Divine Mother eliminates an ego. Each time one of our rulers die. Each time one of the, one of the, the, the false idols and kings that we identify with our fear, our lust, our pride, our greed, and the whole legion of egos inside of us that rule us. And they rule us ruthlessly. And they rule us in secret. Just like these royal families. And they're only concerned about their bloodlines. And, 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 and they really are concerned about bloodlines. And they really do consume our blood because that's where the prana is in our blood. And, of course, they want to capture the imagination. They want to mesmerize us and hypnotize us, just like all those people are mesmerized and hypnotized by the British monarchy. So it's a double-edged sword. It's a double-edged sword. It's like Jesus said to his disciples, I give you one level of teaching. This level of teaching that I give to you is because you're able to receive it, because you're at that level. But this teaching that I'm giving you is not for them over there. It's not for the others. It's not for them. Because they're not at that level and we do not cast pearls before swine. So, Jesus gave them a different level of teaching. That level of teaching is what the Catholic Church inherited and what all Christianity inherited and teaches to this day. But then along comes Jordan Peterson and, and and decodes in a very practical, down-to-earth, rubber-meets-the-road way the, sa- the, the very same scriptures, from the Old Testament anyway, and is able to make them relevant here and now and practical. He doesn't know anything about White Tantra. He doesn't know anything about uh, initiations and Buddhas versus Bodhisattvas or anything like that. He's not, he's not concerned about that. He's concerned about helping people make it in the world. He's concerned about giving people some kind of a foundation that they can stand on. That they can then reach to the, they can potentially then reach and get to the next level. But first they got to learn how to make their bed. The loss of the monarchy for uh, the Commonwealth of Nations, the former colonial uh, kingdoms, will leave a kind of power vacuum and that is a, represents a tr- tremendous opportunity to make the teachings known that the only ruler, the only monarch you need is here. Not here. Not your ego, not your eye, because your egos are going to be clamoring for that throne too, like they always do, because that's their job. But that unique power vacuum, you see, they can't, the ego can't fill that void, because the egos are inside. And, the e- and, and you're going to reject Charles, because he's a bozo. He's a complete nincompoop. He's useless. He's never going to be anybody's beloved anything. 
except for the one, those who are so diehard into the monarchy and whatever, well, they're hopeless anyway. They're lost. If somebody identifies with and worships Charles as their king, they're lost. They're lost. They have so little intuition, so little capacity to recognize what's staring them in the face. And when they're presented with all the evidence, all the flight logs of, of uh, Charles going to Epstein's Island and all the rest of it, and all the stuff comes out, when all this stuff comes out, Charles and his ego, his inability to actually be noble, his ignobility is going to be the domino that brings the whole house of cards down. Inside of us, and inside of millions and millions and millions of people, this represents the same opportunity. This is for us. By the way, today is September 11th. What happened on September 11th, 2001? Exactly 11 years to the day we are revealing to you that Charles ascending to the throne is going to bring down the Tower of Sauron in Mordor. In the same way that in 2001, the Black Lodge brought down the, two, the Twin Towers to symbolically destroy the pillars of Jaquin and Boaz and raised in its place the single tower It's the Tower of the Eye. The Freedom Tower. Yeah, freedom freedom for the Black Lodge. Freedom for, for them to do whatever the hell they want to do. So you see, the Black Lodge has no constraints. That's why they can't be creative. Their, their creativity is only in destruction. That's why, that's why art for art's sake can't make real art. That's why it's all garbage. Because it's all ego and the Black Lodge cannot create beauty. It's not in them to create beauty. It isn't. They can't. They are the antithesis of beauty. They can't create beauty. They can create aesthetic beauty. They can create hypnotic beauty. They can create false beauty. Everything that they do is an illusion. Everything they do is a lie. It's a front. It's a scam. Everything. Because that's their nature. That's what they were designed to do. That is their divinely ordained purpose. They are, they are this. Now compare what happens between the water and the square block that's sitting there. How creative does that block need to be? It's worthwhile meditating on all of this. But we... 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 Have information, as you know, that we receive. And intuition, and also the through our process of interactions. And as you know, 
these live streams are as much for my benefit as they are for yours because in our process, our creative process, we observe ourselves and we have to hear something come out of our mouth or we have to see ourselves type it out because it's not in the mind. It comes through us and it's not until we hear ourselves or we see what we're typing that we actually see what's coming through us, if that makes any sense, because we're not thinking about it. We're not thinking about these words as we're saying them. They're just coming and we're hearing them for the first time. So that's why with the people closest to us, including our, our close, close friend Wolfgang and, and ecosystem guru, we, we talk for hours. And each of us, we, um, Wolfgang calls it speaking to the listening. Where you're speaking to the listening. You're, you're, you're speaking to consciousness. Because consciousness is the listening, is the awareness. And by speaking to the listening, you can only speak from the listening. And that's your consciousness. And then we, 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 it's a dance. It's this, it's this exchange of what's he feeling, what's coming through his intuition. And then, then what do I feel about that? And when, when he says something, I say, yeah, you know what? That resonates. Yeah, that's right. And then they may be this and, and, and we never say, but this is a, this is a, this is a, an improvisation, uh, rule of improvisation. You say yes. And yes. And you never say no, but. Or yes, but. Sometimes you have to, but you never really, you, you try to avoid it on stage. I mean, in real life, sometimes you have to. Sometimes you just have to. Yes, yes, we hear you, but did you consider, you know, we, we have to we have to do that. We have to be practical and realistic. However, in that we space, in that speaking to the listening, uh, a great many truths can appear because again, when we're at home meditating by ourselves, it's this is why Samael and Mayor said you have to be out in public. You have to you have to be you don't have to be a socialite or sociable, but you have to be in the gymnasium of life. There's two things that happen. You have to you have to be confronted by people who are mirrors of your egos. You have to confront your baffles. You have to. Because the egos are too clever and too subtle at hiding from you. So you gotta, you gotta face the baffles that draw them up out of you and cause you to start swirling and to create the what we call the uh, the um, uh, <clears throat> uh, our mind is starting to shut down, I think. That creates the turbulence. It's in the turbulence that the water becomes revitalized and energized. And it's in the turbulence that our consciousness becomes revitalized and energized. Because we wake up. Like when someone kicks you in the shin, you wake up really fast. All of a sudden, focus and concentration, no problem. You're completely focused and completely concentrated on the pain, right? It's kind of like that. 
But when you have people in your life who are on your same wavelength and you, you have these conversations where you're speaking to the listening and the words are flowing through you and the words are flowing from them, it's like Aquarius, the water bringer, pouring water from one vessel, from two vessels into one vessel and not spilling a drop. And now the turbulence is something something else entirely. Now it's communion. Now it's a dance. Now it's two different turbulent uh, currents that are that are becoming as one. That's creativity. That's tantra on another level. So you see, this whole question of rule and the death of a ruler and whoever rules us and whatever rules us moment by moment, whether it's greed or pride or shame or gluttony or our innermost, a ruler and this power vacuum on the, in the microcosm in the macrocosm is our opportunity to shift into those energies that change point right that danger and opportunity but that the word opportunity is it's danger and change point this is a danger and a change point that's what a baffle is this is our opportunity internally in microcosm to recognize that there's an energy of power vacuum how can we shift into that what is our dominant ego what ego messes with us the most now is the time to meditate on that now is the time to comprehend that and now is the time to beg and plead our divine mother to bring out the guillotine and put that 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 sob useless pretender to the throne under the knife or burned at the stake or it's the divine mother so burned at the stake is best or burned in hot oil use your imagination use your imagination and if you have malice and anger toward the externalized monarchy take that energy take that force and the severity of love behind it and beneath it and direct it towards yourself and direct it towards the false idols and the false gods and the false kings ruling you from within take that trident that thor's hammer and use it upon yourself and lay off the royal family and Queen Elizabeth, because guess what? You ain't making a difference there anyway. You're not changing anybody's mind. You're only making your own ego and your own sense of self-righteousness feel better by bitching and complaining and all that nonsense, all that, uh, that negativity, all that ego that's just been spewing out. So do yourself a favor and give and, and do everybody a favor. And if you see people like that, 
just ignore them for the most part because you can't change them. You can't enlighten them. You're just casting pearls before swine. Uh, another uh, couple questions here. So, Lucifer, okay, so swing on the spiral, main or tool. Um, art for art's sake with constraints is ba basically comedy. Uh, without it, it is stupidity. And then Benjamin says, it's similar to worshiping God by the word God because of respect instead of worshiping God by calling God Jehovah is disrespectful. Um, no, I, that's Benjamin. I wouldn't, um, Yod Hava is an ancient, is the ancient Hebrew word for God. And if you do the, um, if you go through the, um, the lecture on the uh, Hebrew alphabet, all of that will become, um, all that will be made very plain. So, um, you know what? God, Allah, Ra, Yodhava, Jehovah. God, frankly, doesn't care what you call him. He doesn't. You call him Frank. Why Frank? Frank's a nice name. And you know what else is nice about Frank? It's down to earth. It's honest. It's true to be frank with someone, to be open with someone, it's to be frank, to be frank with them. And um, so Frank is as good as name as any. See? This is the Aquarian teaching. This is the Aquarian way. God is the great I am that I am. Aheye, esher, aheye. You can call God a squirrel. Why? Because you can see God in a squirrel. And in that moment, in that time, in that place, you can feel into the innermost essence, the innermost intimate Christ at the heart teaching, the heart foundation of that expression. And you can commune with God through that squirrel. And you can name that, you can adopt that squirrel. You can raise that squirrel from a baby. You can train that squirrel to do tricks like people do on the internet and feed it from a bottle. And, 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 you're, and you are, and you can give that squirrel uh, a life and an existence and a taste of what it means to be a domestic animal what it means to be a pet, what it means to be loved, what it means to give love and give affection and give so much happiness and joy to that otherwise animal that would normally be running around and, 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 and have a, a tough go of it. And you can elevate that animal. You can raise that animal up in some way, some small way. Give that animal a better life. And... And in that moment, that animal is going to, that, that monad is going to be feeling like they're that much closer to God because of your kindness, because of your love, because of your caring and your consciousness and your, your time and your energy, your currency that you've invested in that monad, that little spark, that little seed, that little 
innocent little growing, germinating atom of God. And your love and affection is real. So you can call him Chippy. Call you can call God Chippy. Doesn't matter. It's a very Piscean thing to say, no, no, this is what you call God and nothing else. Really? How do you explain all the different names of God throughout the ages then? And Woden, or, 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 or Woden, or Odin, or Wotan, or, or, or Allah, or Zeus, or On, or Apollo, Jupiter, and on 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 it goes. And Quetzalcoatl and all, you know, and you know that in, in uh, Guatemala, you know that their money is called the Quetzal? It's named after Quetzalcoatl. Why? Because it's currency. It's energy. And Christ is the force. If you've watched our video on the Skywalker Apocalypse, you would know that. That very, very, very powerful modern mythology that we decoded, we, uh, we revealed, unveiled. Um, this is the Aquarian message. Know yourself. Know God, yes. And through that knowing, see reflected that God all around you and in everything. And suddenly, subway advertisements or... or, 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 or or magazine ads, or TV ads, or you name it, all of a sudden you're going to be looking at things for the first time and say, my God, that's that's speaking to me. That's speaking to my soul. That's, that's a direct message from God. And you're going to be... In the Aquarian age, that is going to be our scripture. That is our scripture. And yes, sure, we can have stories and narratives and everything, but you know what? It's going to be more like uh, the theater is going to make a big comeback. Live theater and interactive theater. And, and, and not theater for the sake of glamour and and fame and fortune but no the way the way we study theater like a martial art focusing on your center allowing the truth to come out and doing shakespeare in this methodology allowing the truth in the words to to move you it, it it's 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 a it's an absolute it's an absolute remarkable thing to be moved by the light, by the logos. That's high art. That's real art. No, no piece of art for art's sake has ever brought anybody to tears. Ever. We are. We will put. We will put our uh, our 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 reputation on the line, unless unless it was base sentimentality. Because there is such a thing as base sentimentality. There is such a thing as appealing to the inferior heart center. And you know that there's lots of people who can make themselves cry. And lots of actors and actresses who can make themselves cry. 
So there's there's fault there's those are those are what we call crocodile tears. If you want to bring the conversation full circle and back to reptilians. That's what we call crocodile tears. Bullshit tears, sentimental tears. Not tears of joy, not tears of being touched by God. You will never have that experience looking at art for art's sake. Ever, ever. So that's the Aquarian way. That is what's going to rule in Aquarius. And if we have any say in the matter, if we have any, if we are given access and any influence to be able to reach, to be able to play whatever role we can uh, in whatever small way, the role of the mage, the role of the magician, and reach the Theodens of the world. And do as Gandalf did, perhaps knock uh, <laughs> knock them on the head. <laughs> Actually, no, it's uh, it's the other fellow. It's the, uh, the steward of Gondor that he hits on the head with the staff. But anyway, um, the way Gandalf handles these uh, these 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 conniving, uh, uh, slimy wretches in, in, in Tolkien is, is fun to watch because they really are that they're just pests. They're just parasites is what they are. Dangerous pests, uh, uh annoying and, and cumbersome parasites, but that's what they are. They're, they're, they're sniveling, worthless, worm-like, and that's what they do. They, the reason why they do what they do is because they're parasitic. They're they're like they're like um, you know if they're not if they're not if they're not whispering uh, toxic things into the king's ear then they're 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 then they run back home to their master and they're sniveling in the corners with their dark master like like Grima Wormtongue does. Um, they're the only exception to that archetype are, are uh, characters like um, like Walsingham from Elizabeth, who is slimy and conniving and insidious and many, 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 many things, but sniveling he isn't. He is ruthless. He is dangerous. He is uh, dedicated and loyal, and he is very, very, very dangerous. But somehow, and maybe this is why uh, Sir Francis Bacon appeared as as uh, Elizabeth's uh, closest confidant because had Walsingham remained around and unchecked, then Elizabeth and her so-called golden age might have turned into a a complete and utter disaster. For the for the world, because Walsingham, uh, his philosophy was basically that of the prince. He was so that's the word that's the word that's been evading and eluding us all this time. He was uh, he was completely and totally Machiavellian. Walsingham was, so, and these advisors are are real these these sorts of people like like um jafar 
from Aladdin. Again, uh, yes, albeit a cartoon for children, so limited in, in how far they can take him, but, uh, but still, you get the idea. So they're not just swiveling, uh, sniveling worms. And par- they're parasites, all right, but they're, but they're tremendously powerful vampires. They're parasitic, but they are, they are beyond, uh, you know, they, they're, they're Machiavellian in the, in, they're Machiavellian in the purest sense of the word, and they worship and they idolize Machiavelli, and they worship and idolize his philosophy. But because they're backhanded, undermined, because they're so obsessed with control, you know that they're completely possessed by fear. So they themselves could could never actually be a prince. Just like Machiavelli himself, he wrote the book on ruthless leadership, but he himself wasn't the uh, the never became a great grand uh, emperor of anything. So that's why the Machiavellian handbook is really for these people, these these parasitic advisors, these these Walsingham types, who who uh, who through their influence they work in the shadows, they work behind the curtain, and the uh, they turn the uh, the monarch into their puppet, and that way they can remain anonymous and safe, and they can remain out of the public eye, and they can do all of the crimes and misdemeanors uh, that they want to. Um, in relative comfort and security. Because remember, he who seeks to control, he who seeks to rule, is the most afraid. The more somebody wants to control, the more afraid they are, the more possessed by fear they are. And the more power and the more control they have, the more afraid and terrified they are. This is an absolute fact. Because those are two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. And anybody who pretends that they're not afraid, they're just, it's, it's just a front. It's just a show. It's just armor. And why do you think they seek more and more and more control and power and power and power and power? Because it's never enough. It's never enough comfort and security for them. Never. And we, the White Lodge, the magicians, are using that to advantage, our advantage at this time. Because there's nothing these elements fear more than the end of their reign, the end of their rule. And they will do anything to cling to it and hold on to it and keep and keep the money train going and keep the perpetual Ponzi scheme going. For example, the, uh, the global capitalist and monetary system, if you want to talk about the international bankers. There are so many levels and levels and levels to this. We, this, this pinnacle event, and remember... This is Queen Elizabeth II on September 11th, because this is now we're giving this public talk, this public expression. 11 years to the day that the Twin Towers fell. The Twin Towers of the Black Lodge have fallen. And the veil has fallen on what the monarchy is, purports to be, wants to be, and what it substitutes, what it's a proxy for. And now it is fallen. It is dead. And if they try 
to advance Charles the, well, he'll be, I don't know what, Charles the who knows what. Charles the 13th? Wouldn't surprise me. Um, no, it's, it's, that's like, that's like the Freedom Tower. It's bullshit. Nobody gives a rat's ass about the Freedom Tower. The Freedom Tower doesn't, they, they, they erected that thing with like zero pomp and circumstance. Nobody cared. Nobody cares. It doesn't inspire anything for anybody. Why not? Because it's the eye. It's the ego. This is nobody. Nobody gives a shit about that. But this twin pillars of that Elizabeth has fallen on September 11th, 11 years to the day after the Twin Towers fell. No, she died, of course, whenever she died. But we are giving this talk today. Take that for what it's worth. <laughs> and it is an election in Sweden. <laughs> and Benjamin says it's similar to worshiping God by the word of God by the word God because of respect instead of oh yeah no we covered that one our chippy who art in heaven hallowed be thy fur <laughs> Thy squeaking come, thy peanut be done in the earth as it is in your burrow. Sure, why not? Hallowed be thy nuts. Yes, yes, yes. We have lots of chipmunks and squirrels in the backyard. and uh, They come and they raid our bird feeder. And, <laughs> and we had to, to create a, a whole elaborate anti-squirrel uh, defense mechanism. <laughs> because, and it's not because we don't like the squirrels, and it's not because we, we never. It's because one squirrel will empty out a bird feeder in one sitting, in one feeding. The poor guy won't be able to climb down. They're so gluttonous. They will. They, he he'll 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 keep eating until he can barely move. And so we, we we're not made of money. That we we you know the, you know even sunflower seeds they're expensive. We buy them by like the forty kilo bag. Um, but still, if we, it doesn't matter. I could buy sunflowers by the 40 kilo bag. It wouldn't matter within those 40 kilos would be gone in, in a month. I, uh, without a word of a lie, well, even less than that, because every squirrel that would come, even though, I don't know, squirrels are what, a few ounces. I don't know how they can eat a pound of peanut, of, uh, of peanuts or of, of sunflower seeds. I don't know how they do it. It's some black magic in there somewhere. I don't know. There's some kind of like bottomless pit or their stomach is like the TARDIS in Doctor Who because they can just keep eating and eating and eating. And it's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's crazy to watch. And, and, and they're ninjas. They're ninjas. It's, it's it, making an anti-squirrel, a, a, a bird feeder is like, you want to talk about, you want to talk about obstacles. You want to talk about baffling. Now that's a challenge. That's a challenge. If you can, if you go home and I don't mean buy one off the internet, I mean, you devise your own anti-squirrel uh, uh, bird feeder 
Um, and then you, but you have to test it. You have to watch and make sure that it's, it's, it's uh, anti-squirrel. That's a challenge of overcoming obstacles. There you have to be creative <laughs> because they're tenacious and they're ninjas. Okay. Anybody have any more uh, questions or comments? Um, and then we'll definitely call it a day after three hours of this. Um, I think everybody's probably mentally exhausted by now. <laughs> um, so thank you for uh, being here. Thank you for joining us. Um, and uh, did I... We did put the... Oh, no, we didn't, did we? You know, if any of you ever want to join the conversation and we haven't given you the link, just just tell just tell us in the chat. Just, you know, like raise your hand and say, I have something to say, but I want to say it like in person. And then just tell me to put the... Because sometimes I forget, right? Um, okay. So thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. Uh, we hope to see you next week. And um, we apologize for the last notice for today, the announcement on today. Uh, we didn't know this is what we we're going to be talking about until late last evening. And it was when our, a friend of ours sent us the Jordan Peterson uh, video about talking about the Queen. And to be honest with you, to be completely honest with you, all that came to us at that time was we have to do a live stream and refute this, this, this uh, Jungian psychologist. Um, we have to refutiate his claim that uh, this is that the monarchy is really important. In the course of these three hours, we realized how wrong we were, or how one-sided, how limited that one viewpoint is but that's the only viewpoint that we had at the time the rest just flowed through us over the course of these three hours because as you know as you all as you all know these are unplanned and unscripted all we have is a topic that's all we have sometimes we prepare slides because visuals and whatnot will come to us like for for example today we queued up uh we queued up the tarot the, uh, the tarot cards, right? Uh, we knew that we were going to be talking about the magician and the emperor. I mean, an emperor has died. but we knew, So we knew we had to talk about the emperor, but we also knew that, um, that we had to talk about the magician and that the magician is higher than the emperor on the tree of life. And that should also be clear to everyone watching The Lord of the Rings, watching Tolkien or reading Tolkien. Everyone should recognize where Gandalf stands, where the, where the wizards uh, stand um, in, in, the, in the, uh, the allegory of, uh, of Middle-earth. And uh, certainly... You all know why we, uh, where are they? There they are. Now you know why we led with this background image today. 
All the best to all of you. Mugaboo says, this is strange. Uh, okay. In my culture, the king was subservient to the high priest who were no magicians. Who were no magicians or no magicians? Benjamin says, giving the right answer at the right time makes everyone happy. Thank you for pronouncing the words you spoke today. Very timely, especially at the time of the Queen's passing and guiding us on where we should stand psychologically. Oh, Magabu says, known magicians. Yes. Yeah, because in ancient times, the pharaohs, even the pharaohs who, um, the, I mean, in the golden age of Egypt, then the golden age of Egypt, okay, the pharaohs were bodhisattva. They were masters. And the pharaohs were were magi. They were they were uh, they were the magicians. They were the high priests. Because they were they were taught, they were brought up, they were initiated into the temple and through the temple of Luxor, for example. And they they ruled as bodhisattva. The the, the real ruler is a bodhisattva. The, the true ruler serves their people, right? Serves their nation. That's what it means to rule, to not to um, to to govern, but not but not govern as in like it's 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 service. The bodhisattva serve, and that's the archetype of the king, right? That's what even Jordan Peterson admits. That's what people are looking for. They're looking for. It's like Walsingham said. People need to be able to touch the divine here on earth. But once upon a time, kings and queens, pharaohs, and and uh, pharaohesses, is that even a word? Um, they were living gods. They were living gods. They were bodhisattva. And so the majesty of, of royalty comes from the word magi, mage. Majesty, majesty. It's 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 magi, it's magician. They were magicians. And they could perform miracles. First of all, they knew how to. It's it's you know, rule, it's not rule. Rule is not the right word, and govern is not the right word. The right word is lead, leadership. Leadership, even in nature, even in nature. The alpha leads the pack. The strongest goose is at the is at the the front of the chevron. Is the front of the because uh, the strongest goose can take the most wind, and then after time, even he needs a rest or she needs a rest, and so he goes to the back, and the next strongest is in the front. And the strongest human beings are the real human beings, are, and awakened, enlightened, but not just that, but masters, bodhisattva. The strongest are the most humble, and the, the, but it's the strongest who can carry others on their shoulders. This is, this is how it is. This is what real leadership, what real royalty and majesty is. And there have been kings like this. There have been rulers like this. St. Stephen of Hungary, Arpat II, uh, was a ruler like this. If, if, if to, to read his instructions to his son is like reading Marcus Aurelius or, 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 or any of these other uh, uh, meditations or private 
writings that that these these kings and 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 these uh, leaders never intended to be made public, but they 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 became public, and they became uh, um, handbooks for benevolent leadership, real leadership. And you know what's lacking in the world today? Real leadership. That's what's lacking in the world today. We have Machiavellian, egotistical, and we have managers. We have lots and lots and lots and lots of managers. But very few real leaders. And we have lots of opportunists. And we have lots of speculators. And we have lots of con men. And we have lots and lots and lots and lots of different people. And lots of different archetypes. But there are very few. But the few that are 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 going are about to have their day every dog has his day and all of us we have been biding our time and waiting patiently for things to get bad enough that the world becomes baffling enough that the world has no choice but to turn again to the light and the real leaders, and the leaders that are there, and those who are aspiring to lead, and they feel in their heart of hearts that they are meant to lead and born to lead, but they really don't know how to lead, and they really don't know what to do because of the baffle. The baffles are so baffling. The times are so confusing. The cross between Piscean and Aquarian is so confusing to those who are not initiated, to those who are not awake. And to those who are not aligned with the Aquarian way, the Piscean way is dying, the Aquarian way is, 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 is being born. And those who are not attuned to the new way and stuck in the past, boy, are they suffering. The day of the Magi is coming again, my friends. The day of the Magi is coming again. And right now, we may just be like Gandalf the Grey. Yeah, just a crazy old kind of kook with the stick who walks around and stuff like that. Galadriel, the Divine Mother, knows who he is and respects him. And she knows what he will become. Saruman underestimates him, as does the rest of the fellowship, which is a mistake. The enemy learns that the hard way. And Gandalf sets to task the most unimaginable, unfathomable heroes to do the great work and sends them into the heart of Mordor. Frodo and Sam, the innermost emperor and his gardener, 
because that's Frodo, the innermost being, and Sam is the personality in the physical body, the servant who serves the Lord, who serves his, his master. And Gandalf is Aleph, Gandalf the White. He's Aleph, the magician. And Gandalf's complement is Galadriel, the priestess, the Divine Mother, who is the one who reaches down and helps Frodo up. And Gandalf is the one who comes with the eagles to save them once their task is done. It's, 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 it's so profound and it's so beautiful and it's so apropos to this moment in time. The white wizards are here. We may still be in disguise. We may still be wearing gray, but the white wizards are here. And the war of the ring is upon us. The fellowship of the ring is upon us. The war of the ring may still yet come, but the fellowship of the ring is here. And so, uh, take heart. Take heart. Magabu says, in yeah, my culture, the king is direct reflection of God. If it, if it doesn't rain, or there is famine, it was a responsibility of the king. He was to blame. Because he was the representative of God. That's what the Bodhisattva is. Uh, Bodhisattva is a, a Christ, Christified one. So, if there were calamities or catastrophes, then of course they would blame the king, because, I mean, you're a representative of God. You're, you're basically God incarnate. Uh, but of course, the people who actually knew that he was God incarnate wouldn't blame him for bad weather. But, um, but that see, this is this is what happens when the truth of these things just become a legend and just become a memory, and people say, "Oh yeah, they used to blame him for this," and then so they keep blaming them. But meanwhile, uh, people today can't have nothing to say about the weather or anything else. Yes, uh, Jesus Yeshua also set an example of humble leadership. By washing the feet of his disciples. Yes. But you know, that's also a symbol. Because the 12 independent aspects of the being, the Christ, serves them. Remember what we said about the, the magician? The magician doesn't rule. The magician advises. And what do you do? What do you do on your feet but walk? You walk on your feet. By washing the washing feet is a symbol of cleansing the vehicle of action. Cleaning it. Cleaning it of its filth. And that's what good advice is. By washing the feet it's you are cleaning and cleansing and making sure that they take the right path. Not a path of filth, not a path of, 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 of suffering. And yes, of course, 
This is this is what the, the magician is. This is what a bodhisattva is. This is the nature of the Christ. The Christ's nature is to serve. That's his nature. Magabu says, I am sure even now the Joe Bidens and Trump do follow some high priests, astrologers. <laughs> they they have their uh look, they, they have they have their own what's the word? They have their own secret societies. They have their own cults and their own um, things that they are belong to. Look, we have the solar hierarchies. They have the infernal hierarchies. And just as the solar hierarchies have their reflection in the world, the infernal hierarchies have their reflection in the world. And there's many different groups and cults and you know and and bloodlines and families and all of this is 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 representation of those infernal hierarchies which in turn are shadowy reflections of the solar hierarchies and to the infernal hierarchies the solar hierarchies are evil because that's all they see when they see the light is they see evil because they think that they're gods they think that they're the gods and they're the angels and that they're saving the world for themselves Okay, any more questions or comments? If not, then again, thank you for being here, for joining us, and uh, we hope to see you again next week. God bless, and uh, whoops, inver inverential peace. Take care. We'll see you next week.